What's up, Guardians fans? Welcome to the Guard Post, your one-stop shop for everything Guardians football, where we talk about the film, talk about the stats, and we just give you overall analysis for the games. I want to welcome you guys to episode 8, where we're going to talk about the win against LA. We're finally back in the win column. It's just hard questions we got to ask, my true accuracy segment, and then we're going to go ahead and talk about next weekend's game this Saturday at Dallas in a very winnable game against the Renegades. Super excited for that. Hopefully we can go ahead and get to three and two. There's a really short intro today because it's a very simple episode following a lot of the previous setups. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Cue the intro. This is your host, Zachary Garden, and this is the Guard Post. Today we're going to start this episode with a review of the LA game. Really actually fun to watch a win for once. I mean, we started out one and two, two losses in a row. Really rough losses too, so it's good to see us get back in the win column, even though it was a pretty competitive game. It was really low scoring at 17-14. to 14. I know most of you probably watched the game, so I don't need to go over all of that. We're going to go ahead and just get right into it. My positives from the game, then we'll go negatives. Then I'll go my offensive and defensive MVP, and then my just overall feel Excuse me, my overall feel from the game. So we'll go and start with the positives. First things first, good running game. I mean, this isn't something new. We've been pretty good at running the ball each of the past four weeks, but we really leaned into this this game. Darius Victor got 18 carries for like 82 yards at 4.6 yards per pop. I know Tim Cook had about four point something yards a pop in his limited carries. I think he had like round like eight, which is pretty good. So I think 26 total carries between our two bell cow guys. And Matthew Colburn had a couple. Didn't get as much of an opportunity to run the football or touch the football really in this game. But we really had a good running game. Darius Victor was a little bowling ball, which was not at all surprising. That's kind of what his style is. But they also ran a lot from the shotgun, which I like, which means they're mixing it up in the shotgun, not just exclusively passing out of it. They didn't run a lot out of this. Sh- they didn't run a lot of plays out of the shotgun. I mean, out of the under center overall. So it's good to see them pick a style and kind of stick with it, which means they're probably spreading teams out a little bit more willing to run the ball downfield with one or two, maybe two tight ends in, but they're willing to spread them out a little bit more to keep an empty box, which is how I prefer to see it. Even though they're still a smash mouth team, they can spread teams out a little bit. Another good thing is there's no turnovers, which is always good to see. You always want your team to have one to zero turnovers. You don't want to turn the ball over much at all. Mistakes happen, which is okay. There's a forced fumble or a bad interception to tip the ball that ends up being picked off, and that happens. But to keep it at zero is really good. Zero or one is perfectly fine for the game. And it just showed that we were trying to keep conservative with a new quarterback in. That makes sense. Luis Perez wasn't really taking shots down the field. That's not his style. He took what was given to him, didn't really take a lot of chances, which was good, especially in this game when that seemed to be the style we were looking for from a play-calling perspective. But even within that, Perez made a couple nice plays. He had a really good throw to Teo Redding, even though he may have missed Colby Pearson wide open in the end zone. He did have a good throw to tail Redding on an out. He did have a couple scramble drills where he made something out of nothing. There's the one that comes to mind where he threw it to Kobe Pearson along the sideline for a first down on third and 11 when he got out of there. So it was really nice to see him be patient in the pocket, though, as well. Really have some decent signs of pocket presence because that was one of my knocks on him, especially coming into this week, was the fact that he didn't really have any pocket presence. It was one of his lacking factors in the game. Now, do I think that could still be a problem moving forward? Yes. Things aren't solved one week suddenly that could crop up if we end up behind and he's asked to do a little bit more longer drops, less quick passing, stuff like that. But he showed good pocket presence. He made some plays, which is really nice to see. It's good to see a quarterback really stay calm and make some plays in those situations. The defensive backs, as always, played really well, minus those two really bad penalties and one blown coverage deep. Well, two blown coverages on the both touchdowns. The one in the red zone wasn't as bad. It looked like just a miscommunication between Jamar Summers and the guy in the slot or the safety because the safety drove down on the flat route and Jamar Summers sat on the sl- on the flat route and the slant just came behind them. So it looks like they're running a mixed concept, which means they're just supposed to switch and the safety is supposed to get the first in-breaking route and the corner is supposed to get the first out-breaking route or they're supposed to run man. There was just a miscommunication there onto what was supposed to go on and that'll get fixed through practice. But overall, they played really well. Corners both played well. Drayvon Askew Henry has been kind of a revelation Throughout this week, especially at that outside corner spot, he's played really well. Ranthony Dejada has played very well. 
through the two weeks, he's gotten a lot of snaps, and I'm really happy to see that. He seems to solidify himself in that slot corner role, which is something I expect to see a lot of him from against this air raid renegades team. He needs to be a little bit more physical against the run. That's why one knock on him. But I can see him really taking a step forward, especially in this game where he's going to get targeted a lot, especially when Flint Nagel, the renegades slot receiver, had a really big role in their game last week. So... That's another good thing DB's played really. Pass rush came alive, though, and this is something that made me so happy because we really struggled those first two weeks to rush the passer, and like last week we did a little bit better but not great. And this week Jarrell Owens really came alive, and so did the rest of the pass rush. Kayvon Walker had a sack. Jarrell Owens had two. There was eight total QB hits. There might have been. There was more pressures overall. But I mean, Routine was consistently getting pressure. He never landed home, but he was consistently getting pressure. So there was always just consistent pressure on Josh Johnson never got fully comfortable which was one of my keys to the game last week and they did a good job of containing him too they didn't let him run all over the place Jarrell Owens showed really good speed overall which is going to be really important when you go move down the road to play Jordan Tamu again or guys like PJ Walker and so on and so forth but really good to see those kind of traits pop up and I was really happy, actually, with how these teams, how this defense played, especially from a pass rush perspective. And then we also stopped the run. The defensive line was consistently getting one yard deep in the backfield, creating a fence and not allowing the running back to really get a lot of yards after contact. The linebackers got off blocks and did a good job wrapping up and tackling at first contact. And the defensive backs were also a part of the run game. The corners, I don't expect a whole lot from them being impactful in the run game when you're usually at 190 pounds and not always the strongest guy on the field is really hard to do, so I'm not surprised they weren't huge factors, but it's nice to see them step up, take on blocks, try to force these guys inside to their linebackers, or bounce them outside toward the sideline, so it's really good to see them get involved in the run game, make a couple tackles here and there, and the safeties actually do really well in the run game, and it's nice to see them have even had not have to do as much as our linebackers and defensive linemen stepped up, but that's kind of where our positives really end there was not a whole lot of positives offensively we got to remember yeah we saw some life but we did only score 17 points we've only scored 17 points in two games this year and the other two we scored three well we scored nine total so it's really good to see us take a step forward offensively but we're nowhere near a finished product we haven't scored more than 20 points in a game all season from an offense perspective we did have 23 against the vipers but six of those came off of a fumble return for a touchdown so hopefully we can see another step forward get 20 plus points this week but offensively we're still not that good and that's where the negatives come in a lot bad offensive play calling in the red zone was a big thing we had to settle for a field goal down there because they decided to throw marquise williams in for one random snap on third down and then he took him out for the rest of the game and never let him play again other than one other than one i believe pat attempt afterwards so it's real it's Really sad to see us still be super uncreative in the red zone and not really have a solution. There was some decent play calling in the second red zone drive just to kind of trust Mikhail McKay, but I can tell you right now that that was not a play call called by Jay Mangus. That was an audible at the line of scrimmage when Luis Perez saw the one-on-one matchup with for Mikhail McKay because that was supposed to be a run play. But overall, bad offensive play calling in the red zone and kind of overall, there was never really great play calling. We just kind of leaned on the run. We barely ran any play action again, which is not good, but it's good to see us kind of actually move the ball a little bit running the football. So it wasn't terrible play calling, but in the red zone, it got really bad. Then there was too many penalties. There was some really bad bullshit. There's expletive on this podcast, some really bullshit penalties. Sorry to anybody with kids in their car, but there was some really bullshit penalties on Drevon Askew Henry and Bryce Jones, those two defensive back calls, but there was still some, um, and not roughing the passer, some unnecessary roughness calls. There was some false starts. I believe there was a holding call on Mikhail McKay. So we got to really limit those penalties. I know we can't play perfect, but we got to get as close to there as possible, get under five penalties a game. Only four targets for Mikhail McKay was another problem. We got to get him involved more. He's our number one receiver, and only to have him have four targets and for 12 yards. I know one of them was a touchdown, but we're just not getting him involved, whether it's the intermediate game or the like slant game. I mean, even short game, if we just run him on slants on a third and one or a second and one, that could be a big gain because he's got a really big body. He can box out a defensive back, and he's really good at running those slants. He's really great at getting releases against press, against slants. So I want him to get more involved. I think we should hopefully see up to eight targets. It doesn't make sense 
that he's this talented and he's only seeing about four targets or less a game. And then offensive line kind of struggled. Luis Perez was pressured quite a bit. He had, um, there was, he got sacked, what, three? Oh, these are the wrong stats. Give me a second while I pull up my, yeah, there was, um, let me find my stats. He, Luis Perez was hit seven times. His pressure percentage was 35.3, so he's pressured on 35.3% of his passing snaps. And he was sacked. Let me find the stat here. I'm sorry I don't have this prepared. But he was sacked, I believe, five times. He was sacked a lot. Yeah, he was sacked a lot. But it's good to see this team really... It's not good to see this team really struggle in pass protection. That's why we signed a guy like Derek Dennis. So he was sacked three times. Pardon me. He was hit seven times. He was pressured 12 times. So... There was a lot of pressures here. I really would have liked to see him play a little bit better overall as an offensive line unit. So hopefully we still we can pick that up. Derek Dennis will probably see more snaps at maybe guard, with especially with Garrett Brumfield out for this season. Derek Damian Mama kind of struggled a little bit this game, transitioning to guard, but Ian Silverman played a lot better, which was good. And he was a lot more composed. Jaron Jones didn't struggle as much. But then again, this team that we're that we were playing, L.A. is not a very speed-happy pass-rushing team. That's why they probably picked up guys like Victor Ochi and Andrew Stelter this week to be more speed pass rushers, but they don't really have that, so that's why they weren't able to really get to Luis Perez for sacks as much, but they still had 12 pressures, so hopefully we can pick that up from offensive line group. That's really all the negatives. I mean, offensively, we're just unproductive, which is a little bit of a problem. We were able to move the ball, but we weren't able to put the ball in the end zone, and we stalled out a little bit too much on third down. Third down is still a struggle for us offensively, but it's good to see that we actually put points on the board. And I mean, we got to win, so I don't want to be too overly negative on these guys. I mean, on third down, though, we were still 5 for 13, which is not good. We didn't go for it once in fourth down, and we were 1 for 3 in the red zone. And one to two on goal to go. If we're in goal to go, you got to score touchdowns, and we weren't able to do that, so that's a little problematic. But hopefully, we can go ahead and pick this up and turn these field goals into touchdowns. Matthew McCrane has been balling out; he hasn't missed a field goal yet, which is good. So hopefully, you can keep that going because I feel like we're going to need it this week because I don't know how well we're going to play against this Dallas defense. I'll get into that in our preview, but it's really good to see us take that next step into being a little bit more better offensively, score some more points, not get shut out. So hopefully, I think Luis Perez starts this next week. We'll get into that, into the hard-to-ask questions, the tough questions segment. But like I said, offensive line struggled a little bit in pass blocking. They were really good running, run blocking. Bad offensive play calling overall didn't really help. And then too many penalties. I mean, we got to clean up the penalties. I know that's probably going to be something Gilbride really, like, Harps on throughout this week, especially the unnecessary roughness penalties. Drayvon Askew-Henry and Ian Silverman over the past two weeks have struggled with those. So that's something he's harping on, just staying disciplined, because that could have cost us the game this past weekend against L.A. if they were timed at different times. So hopefully we see that get better. I expect it to get better, because that's the kind of coach Kevin Gilbride is. He's very much discipline-oriented, so that should get better as the weeks move on. Now we're going to go ahead and get into our MVPs. The first MVP is going to be the offensive MVP, Darius Victor. Like I said, 18 carries, 82 yards, 4.6 yards per carry. He was a real bulldozer in the run game. Nobody wanted to tackle him. I thought it was really funny. There was one play in particular, I can't remember the time, but he ended up getting tackled by this defensive back, and this defensive back is just on his hands and knees getting up, like, and he just looks sore. Like, I've seen that look. I've had that look before. He just looked sore getting up, so it was really funny to watch that. But overall, he was just demoralizing. He also showed some signs of great vision. I know I talked about it in my Wednesday film day thread where there was a play where he showed great vision, bouncing the ball outside a little bit and then going up and getting the 10 yards for the first down. So he showed that he can be a bell cow, and people just don't want to tackle him, which is really good. He could struggle against maybe a little more physical teams. I don't think he'll get 82 yards this week against the Renegades. Renegades have a really good aggressive run defense, but he was the offensive MVP this week. And we could see him get more of a role next week as well. You just got to stay healthy. Our defensive MVP should not really surprise anyone. It's Darrell Owens. He had three tackles, two sacks, seven pressures, and one field goal block. He balled out and really surprised me this past Saturday. I really like his game. I love how he plays the game of football. Just quick, speedy. 
He showed really good bend on a couple of plays. He rushed from the inside and was qu- too quick for those interior offensive linemen. So it's really good to see him really take a step forward in his game and play to what I hope he continues to play. What Now that I've seen him play a little bit more, because when I was in the evaluation process, I couldn't really find any film on him. So now that I've seen him play some more, I can't wait to see him play even more and prove to me that he can keep playing at this level because I think he has the tools to do it. Now it just comes to a consistency issue. Um, him and Kayvon Walker and Bummy Rotimi could be a really deadly duo on that defensive line. It was one of the groups I was weakest on, but now that they're kind of taking a step up, they're becoming them and the defensive backs are becoming the two best groups on the team. So it was really nice to see that as a whole. And he's my defensive MVP for the game against LA, which ended up being a win 17 to 14. Really happy to see that a win's good. We're 2-0 at home, 0-2 it away. Let's hope we can get that to 1-2 it away this next week. But next, we're going to get into the hard questions. My segment where I just ask a couple questions that a lot of people are asking and try to give my best answers on. That'll be right after the break, though, so we'll see you in just a second. So now we're going to go ahead and move to our the hard questions segment where I pull I kind of pull questions that I feel are being asked across the Internet and try to give my best answer to them. The first one we're going to talk about, who is the QB moving forward? I've heard a lot of talk about Luis Perez and Matt McGloin kind of splitting snaps in practice as Matt McGloin's getting back to full health. I've heard talk of Quentin Flowers possibly getting traded to the Guardians. I believe that's where he wants to go. And I fully expect... Personally, I fully expect Luis Perez to start, I think, because he showed the ability to kind of take control of an offense and kind of run it, at least to a little bit of his ability. I think that's where Gilbride will go. Gilbride likes stability, so I fully expect him to kind of stick with Perez. I just know whoever runs out on that first drive, I don't expect a whole lot of switching. I don't think that's Gilbride's style unless that quarterback completely sucks. But if that quarterback, whoever it is, whether it's Perez or McGloin, starts to get a rhythm, I expect him to finish the finish the game no matter how he plays. So fully expect probably Perez to start. I think he'll probably play it safe with McGloin's health. And I think he wants Perez to start because he showed some promise in running this offense, whether it was just taking what the defense gives him or just being super conservative. I think he showed some promise running Mangus's offense. So I think that's where we'll probably go is Perez. But I wouldn't be surprised either if Matt McGloin came in if if um, Gilbride wants to get McGloin in and get snaps because they're paying him the big bucks. I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. But I would not be surprised if Luis Perez came in and started another game for the Guardians. The next thing I'm going to talk about, there's been some talks about possible moves, specifically at quarterback. But I just was kind of wondering, are there any other moves that Guardians could make to improve the roster of the team? And really the one thing that comes to mind is QB depth. I know a lot of people aren't high on Marquise Williams or Matt McGloin. I'm a little bit higher on Marquise Williams than, my, than some. I feel like he's very similar to a guy like Eric Dungy, who I've heard some talk that the Guardians should bring in. I don't think they should, especially since they'll just be placing probably Marquise Williams with Eric Dungy, considering they're very similar quarterbacks. So I don't think that's going to happen. But there's been talk about bringing Quentin Flowers in, and personally I'm not sure. I think he probably fits Jay Mangus's preferred system a little bit better than some of the quarterbacks we have, but I'm still not convinced that Quentin Flowers is a very talented and gifted thrower. He doesn't have as much zip on his passes that I'd like to see at times. He kind of lofts some of his passes, so we'll just have to wait and see with that. If that happens, I don't think it will. I don't think Mark Trestman wants to trade Quentin Flowers to another team in the East to give a revenge game possibility type of thing, so I don't expect that to happen, but there's been some talk about that. You could also see us look for more offensive line or wide receiver depth. I know we've had some injuries along in the wide receiving core, but most of those guys are getting back healthy, so that's not as much. But the offensive line could always use some improvement, especially since we're still struggling a little bit with speed rushers in the pass rush and struggling to work with blitzes and other things. Excuse me, work with blitzes and other things. So I fully expect, I don't expect a whole lot of movement from this team. I expect us to stay pretty regular to what we are right now, but we could see some movement along the offensive line if worse comes to worse or any injuries along the defense. We'll see a guy brought in, of course. It's been really interesting to see some of the moves that 
cornerback, though. I know we brought in Xavier McKinnon, I believe his name is. He's wearing number 25 now. He got some reps last week at outside corner, and you could see him actually step in and make some plays in outside corner if they keep Drayvon Askew Henry and Bryce Jones on the bench. I don't know how happy they are with either of them. I know Drayvon Askew Henry played pretty well, and that's who I expect to walk out opposite of Jamar Summers next week, but you could see Isaiah Xavier McKinnon kind of work in there a little bit as the game moves along. So the last question I've seen kind of brought up kind of intermittently. I know a lot of XFL is kind of my outlet to not worry about this, but COVID-19, the coronavirus, what are the stadiums going to look like, especially in LA and uh, maybe in New York too? I know there's been a couple of cases in on the East Coast, not as many as on the West Coast where I live. So a little worried, probably going to lock myself in my room for a little while here, but what should the XFL do? What are stadiums going to look like? I honestly have no idea. I just know we may see some empty stadiums here in the future. I've heard some talk about LA possibly having empty stadium because of what's going on with the, um, the coronavirus on the West Coast. So we could see some of that. I do think we'll probably keep seeing XFL games. I don't expect them to stop. I know Italy's kind of doing the thing where they have a lot more cases than us. I don't know the whole story about all this. But I know the series Serie A soccer league is having games in empty stadiums, and I could see the XFL doing something similar to that. If the COVID nineteen virus gets really bad, I don't think it will though. I know nothing, of course. I'm not a doctor. I know nothing, so that's all speculation for me. I'm just saying I could see some teams playing in empty stadiums, just because the season will keep going on, but they'll try to limit contact between people and try to limit the spread of this outbreak. So. Of course, I know nothing, not a doctor. Just want to throw it out there. And that's going to be the end of the hard question segments. If you have any questions you want to throw my way for next week's episode, especially after the game, feel free. I'll answer them during this segment. I love doing this. I love answering questions. I like to hear myself talk sometimes because I like talking about football. So we're going to go ahead and go to my true accuracy segment next where I talk about Luis Perez's performance and a couple of the stats that I liked and did not like from the game. So we'll be back from break in just a second. What's up, everybody? We're to one of my favorite segments, the true accuracy segment. A lot of this charting I do myself. I had a great video explaining some of my charting, and I just want to go over that real quick in case you guys didn't see that. There's a specific play from the game that I reached out to Twitter and asked, hey, do you guys think this is accurate? It was regarding Luis Perez's throw to Mikhail McKay, which he dropped and could have been a potential big gain or touchdown. Now, whether I think that was going to be a touchdown or not, I did not think it was. It was behind him. So even though he dropped it, if he had caught it, I think he was too slowed down to really pick up enough speed to score. Mikhail McKay is not the biggest speedster known to man. So that was kind of my take on that. But when I talked about that, I kind of brought up how I chart and kind of the basis for my charting. And what I really brought up was the fact that the weight of all playmaking, I put on the quarterback in my charting. So I, they have to make all the plays. I know wide receivers expect to make plays and contributions, and that was should have been a catch from Mikhail McKay. I want to address that first of all. Mikhail McKay should have caught it. But I called that inc- inaccurate from a quarterback standpoint because that's a throw he should make better. He had messy footwork in the pocket causing him to underthrow it, and it was an inaccurate pass because he was not able to put the wide receiver in the best position to catch the ball and score. He made it harder than it needed to be on the wide receiver. So while the wide receiver should have caught it, yes, Luis Perez could have made a better throw. So when I chart these quarterbacks to make sure it's even and fair, no matter the supporting cast any of these guys have, the only way I haven't been able to – kind of figure out a good way to chart. And the one thing I try to do with my accounting pressures into this is offensive line play. Whoever has the best offensive line kind of, have, kind of has an unfair advantage when I chart because they have more time in the pocket to be more accurate. But I try to put the weight of the playmaking on the quarterback because if that's the case, then I can't blame the quarterback for mistakes made by the wide receiver because I chart every quarterback the same. So... I don't know if you got, that makes sense to you guys, but it makes sense to me. I just wanted to go over that really quickly before I went into the rest of this segment. And we're going to go ahead and start with Luis Perez's performance, which I talked about a little bit. I think he is pretty good overall. He had good overall accuracy. He kind of took what the defense gave him. Didn't like take a lot of chances. There was the one throw to Mikhail McKay, and there was one deep ball that he kind of missed. I believe there was two actually he missed. Went to Joe Horn. That was a really tough grab, possible grab for Joe Horn that I don't think he was going to be able to get. 
And then also this one he threw way out of bounds to Mikhail McKay, one of his four targets. And he just really didn't take a lot of chances. He showed decent pocket presence. He had that one stumble, bad footwork sequence on that throw to Mikhail McKay that was dropped. But overall, he didn't tank the offense, which is good. He kind of just took what the defense gave him. And he really didn't do anything to elevate the offense to another level either. He had some good like splash plays. Like there was the one that he scrambled out, was at the line of scrimmage and tossed a dart to Colby Pearson, who was at the first down marker and was able to get the first down on a third and 11. And then also just that th- the throw to tail Redding over a guy in, co- in a cover two to on and out. And then also the touchdown throw to McCall McKay, which was a really good throw as well. So it was good to see these guys kind of take a step kind of see him take a step up and kind of make some plays, but he really didn't elevate the offense, but he didn't take the offense either, which is good to see. Overall, though, now we're going to go ahead and get into my stats, some of the ones I picked out that were good or bad. When I looked at it, there wasn't a whole ton of good play, good stats, like that kind of stood out right away because overall this wasn't an amazing game, but it wasn't a bad game. But some of the ones I pulled out is total accuracy was 75%. 75%. A majority of those passes came on short and check down passes, though. I believe he had like 12 total short passes and eight total um, checkdowns. And he was 100% on the short, on the checkdowns, and 91.7% on the checkdowns. But he was good overall accuracy. He completed some intermediate passes. He had the two accurate ones followed by the inaccurate one on that touchdown drive, on that drive before the, that went to the red zone before the touchdown. But overall, he was pretty good accuracy wise. A lot of short passes to kind of bump that up, though. Turnover-worthy plays, he had zero, which was fantastic. He didn't have one turnover-worthy play, which is really good to see. It's what you want to see from your quarterback. You want to see him not take the chances he doesn't need to take. I would have liked to see him take one or two more shots down the field maybe, maybe get get more schemed, open guys downfield. He had to call with Pearson one he just did not see when he threw that good throw to tail Redding. But overall, he didn't take a lot of chances, so that led, turned out to be zero turnover-worthy plays. His short accuracy as well as the next stat I'm going to bring up. He was 91.7% in the short accuracy column. Usually I want to see 85 and above, so 91.7 is really good. The short ac- short accuracy area is from 0 to 10 yards, by the way, so if it's a 10-yard throw, it still counts in my short accuracy segment. So he was really good in that segment of it all. Did a good job managing the pocket, getting short completions quickly, and allowing our guys to get yak yardage to make plays. So it was really good to see him be accurate, make the plays he needed to make, and really not overextend himself as he played. Now we're going to go into three bad stats for my charting. Deep accuracy was 0%. Oh my goodness, I cannot wait to see a good deep passer with these receivers. I feel like we're wasting a whole possible dimension of this offense. Austin Duke can move, can go deep. Mikhail McKay is a deep threat, period. That's his MO. That's what he loves to do. Colby Pearson can make plays down the field. He's constantly open deep. So we got three receivers right there that are really good going down the field, yet we can't use them because we cannot get a guy who's consistently accurate throwing the ball 20-plus yards down the field. So it kind of makes me sad because I love a good deep passing attack. I'm a Cam Newton fan. That's something he's thrived with throughout his whole life. I know some of you may disagree with me and not like Cam Newton, think he's inaccurate, but he's a very accurate quarterback in my eyes. Deep accuracy-wise, he's very good throughout the years. He's just really struggled with injuries this past couple years. But that's me digressing from the point here. Luis Perez has not been it when it comes from a deep passing standpoint. I think he can take a step forward there, but he's not a guy that's going to do it often. He doesn't like to take a lot of chances with it. So hopefully we do see that develop, but I don't expect it to. He got hit seven times. Now, this isn't really an indication on him. That's why there's not three bad QB stats. It's just three bad stats for my charting. Seven QB hits is not good. You want this to be low, not as low as possible. You want zero QB hits every game personally, but you're going to get the QB hit every once in a while. But seven is a really high number because that's just him getting hit and hit and hit. And the quarterbacks usually get nervous. Luis Perez did a good job of not getting nervous because there was a lot of short game in this game. But overall, seven hits, not good show for our offensive line. And the next stat is not good for our O-line either. He was pressured 35.3% of the time. Not really good at all. Would have liked to see him pressured less. Usually I want this around 20%. Um, Hopefully we can see that take another step down, but that's why I talked about in my review that the, in my game review that the O line did not play great. Seven hits, thirty five point three pressure pressure percentage, and I don't expect that to really take a drop anytime down anytime soon because these guys really struggle with prep speed rushers, and Dallas has a plethora of speed rushers on their team. It's kind of what they thrive with. So hopefully we can see that take a step down. I don't expect it to. 
We're just going to have to keep working from under pressure. And hopefully we can see that develop even more to where it's closer to 20%, but I don't expect it to. Now we're going to go to my overall feel of the charting. Overall, I think Luis Perez did really well. I think he played inside the system, made the plays he was asked to do. He was never asked to do too much by GM Angus, which I think was one good thing about his play calling. He didn't ask Luis Perez to do too much, but I would love to see a little more accuracy downfield and take a couple more shots down the field. And his pocket presence was pretty good, but it wasn't great. He looked to take one or two sacks because he just couldn't do anything moving around in the pocket and make a guy miss. I remember one blitz where a guy came straight down the middle. As a quarterback, yeah, the pressure's on you there to make a play and make a guy miss, but he just took the sack. I know Luis Perez isn't the most mobile guy, so I don't really expect him to do much, but that's why I like mobile quarterbacks because they can make plays out of those really bad situations when the defense is going to be a man down. And and I know Dallas loves to be aggressive, and that's where Luis Perez is going to struggle. They're going to blitz. They're going to send corners and safeties and multiple linebackers. So... Luis Perez could get sacked a couple more times just because there's nothing he can do from a mobility standpoint to make plays when he's under that much pressure from all over the place. So that's really it for my charting segment. This one was a little shorter. I kind of blazed through it a little bit. It wasn't a remarkable performance from Luis Perez, but it was a it was a good one. It was what we needed to get a win this weekend. I think he's going to need to do a little bit more against the Renegades because they have such a good defense, but hopefully we can manage his workload and make sure he's not under a ton of pressure playing the football this week because I don't really expect him to thrive under the adverse conditions that Dallas is going to put him under. So next we're going to go into my game preview and then I'll get back and that'll be right after the break. See you in a couple seconds. to our game preview. I'm going to go talk about the, what the offense has to do and what it can't do, and same with the defense. Then I'm going to go in talking about the most important player on both sides of the ball and what coach, there's going to be no surprise there, is still on the hot seat for this game. Who needs to prove the, prove themselves the most to me? I know I don't matter to these guys, but it's just important for me to see who what coach needs to show what they can do in this game plan to continue to be safe in their jobs personally. And then we're just going to go ahead and get right into it, starting with the offense, what they have to do to win, to score more points and win this game. The first thing they got to do, they have to attack the slot. Dallas really likes, I saw this in the game, they fixed it after half, but I could see them doing it again. They like to match up the slot wide receivers with linebackers and their corners, they're like smaller corners in man-to-man matchups. So if we run a lot of quick routes, quick plays, up the seam to our slot receivers, Austin Duke and Joe Horn, who can be really dangerous in that factor of the game. I think we can get a lot going offensively, make it easy on Luis Perez. If we use those slot receivers, if we attack them. We could get a lot of big plays out of that because of the good matchups there. I know Nick Hawley had a really good game this past weekend, and he doesn't he's not really anything special. No offense, Nick Hawley. Great story, fantastic story. Probably seems like a really fun guy to talk to and get to know but he didn't have to do anything special to beat these linebackers and beat the coverage he was being faced with. He had almost 100 yards and a touchdown. So I feel like we could do the same thing with Austin Duke and Joe Horn against these Dallas linebackers. So that's something we have to do is we have to attack the slot, attack the seams, really make plays on the interior with our wide receivers and make plays there, make Luis Perez's job easier if he's starting, who I expect to start going into this week. Then we have to, another thing we have to do is we have to spread them out. I know a lot of people are going run heavy, run, run, run the football, and we can still do that from the spread. So calm down, all you smash mouth um, enthusiasts. I love a a good running game as well. So we can still do that from the spread, though. And I think with a very aggressive, very blitz-happy defense like Dallas, we need to kind of spread them out a little bit and try try to mitigate the fact that they may have a stacked box against a pretty good running team like us like the Guardians. So if we create spacing, it'll allow easier throws for the quarterback, whoever it is, probably Luis Perez. It'll get one-on-ones in the slot, and we'll also be able to run run the football because it's, small, it's a less stacked box. Give, give Darius Victor and Tim Cook smaller guys to run over, and possibly who I think is going to probably be playing is Justin Stockton because for some reason 
the Guardians have been playing, oh, Justin Stockton will play when we're away, and Matthew Colburn will play when we're home. So Justin Stockton will be in. If we give him a more spread-out box and a let, like a, a smaller box, he could really make a lot of plays, making people list and being really explosive. So that's something to watch out for, see if we spread them out a little more. We can still have tight ends in the slot. We can still have a tight end here and there. I just think that we would be best served by spreading out and kind of going less big and not let them stack the box and really work downhill. The next thing we need to do offensively is we need to run RPOs and play action passes and maybe a trick play. I mean, come on. This is a very aggressive team we're playing. Dallas is very aggressive defensively. That's how they really got into P.J. Walker's head and made him struggle a little bit. I know that offense still scored a lot of points, but they had a lot of short fields to deal with. So really making sure this overly aggressive Dallas team can get tricked. Maybe run a trick play, a double reverse, a double pass, a heck, anything really just to get the juices flowing run a trick play we've been very traditional on offense so i'd love to see a little trick play here to really suck this team up and make them pay for it and also rpos and play actions will get overly aggressive running linebackers working downhill and open up the field for our slot receivers and our receivers i think also that eventually it'll make linebackers more hesitant to be aggressive against the run because i've i know some of you may have heard but play action can actually set up the run because it'll lessen the linebacker's willingness to go straight head down because I think, oh, is it a pass? Instead of attacking the run, and our running backs will have more space to work. So we really need to run more play action and RPOs, really get this run action going so that these line, overly aggressive linebackers get hesitant to commit to one thing or another. I don't know how likely we are to see that play action is not a huge part of Jay Mangus's game plan, but hopefully he implements it here because I think it'll work really well against those very aggressive front seven from Dallas. Now, offensive don'ts. I know we depended on the run last week, and please don't bite my head off, guys, but we cannot depend on the run this week. Dallas is one of the best run defenses in the league, and I believe it'll make us one-dimensional because they're very aggressive moving downfield. They blitz a lot. They will stack the box if we depend on the run. So if we don't depend on the run, it'll open up the whole game for us. We'll get a less stacked box. We can use it a little bit. I'm still saying we give... There's Victor or Tim Cook, 15-plus carries. Give them the ball, but we cannot rely on it kind of thing. So it makes sense to me. Just don't make it so that you run the ball six plays in a row before you run a play-action pass. Throw some passes in their screen game, just stuff to get these overly aggressive linebackers to take a step back and think a little bit more. I know we said I want to get the ball to Mikhail McKay more than four times, and that still stands but we cannot force feed the ball to him. They've got pretty good outside cornerbacks and Duron Smith, their safety is a star. He's really good. He's a ball hawk. I saw it with the AAF when he played for San Antonio. He's done it here. He picked off PJ Walker last week, which only two people have done. So really just beware of Darren Smith roaming the field, Darren Smith roaming the field, and they will be there to watch Mikhail McKay because he's not been involved, but he can make plays. So Darren Smith will be there reading the QB's eyes. And if we just lock onto Mikhail McKay and force feed him, he will get an interception, maybe two. So, and the last thing, like I said, it kind of goes with spreading them out. We cannot stay in two tight ends all game. It'll condense the box, allow Dallas to get aggressive, like I've said multiple times, and then allow Darren Smith, their really talented safety, to roam the field at abandon and make plays wherever he wants. So, really spreading them out limits guys to their role and doesn't allow people to kind of make plays outside of their role. So, once again, we got to keep them spread out. Don't put, keep two tight ends in the game all game. So now we're going to go into the defense. It gets a little bit shorter here because we're going to be going against a backup quarterback and Philip Nelson most likely. And honestly, there's two things we really need to do is get quick pressure by putting Owens or Timmy on the same side and allowing zone blitzes and other things to confuse Philip Nelson. Really get him thinking a little bit too much, taking short check downs all the time because he's nervous to push the ball downfield doing stuff like that so that's something we need to do get quick pressure on him make him uncomfortable don't let him get in a rhythm because even if he does i'm not worried about him he throw he threw for 5.4 yards a clip and he did this uh, this last week and even has done the same thing in the past so i fully expect this to continue i mean i don't i'm not a huge fan of philip nelson now i was when the af because san diego fleet's quarterback options were not stellar when josh johnson left but now I can see why a lot of people weren't fans of him, and I really think that limiting his options, making him uncomfortable, will be the best bet for this defense, and I fully expect us to be able to do that. So 
The next thing we got to do is force turnovers. With Landry Jones, it was really easy. He made a lot of mistakes. He pushed the ball downfield a lot, took a lot of chances. So with Philip Nelson, it's going to be a lot harder. So we have to take advantage of the mistakes he does make because he's not perfect. He will make some mistakes, but he likes to check it down a lot more. And I don't expect him to push it down the field as much. So I fully expect him not to make as many mistakes. So we got to take advantage when he does and get the ball. So it also creates opportunities for the lackluster offense we've been kind of feeling. Hopefully we can score more than 20 points this time. I wouldn't be too sure, though. We're going against a pretty good Dallas defense. So we'll just have to wait and see with that. But it creates a shorter field for our offense, really gets them in position to win and get them in position to score. Defensive don'ts. What we cannot do on defense is we cannot play strictly in man coverage. The air raid is meant to pick that apart. You saw it last weekend against the Roughnecks. They ran the same mesh concept about six or seven times in the row, and it worked every time. I was surprised that the Dallas Renegades, I'd have to, I mean, not Dallas, the Houston Roughnecks didn't move towards a more cover two zone scheme, and I fully expect Jim Herman to implement that. I know the Guardians' defensive backs are not as good at zone because it's hard to get on the same page as these guys with the limited amount of time they're playing with. Zone is very much a feel thing, so playing man is a much more technique and talent thing, and a lot of these guys really struggle with the feel of a zone. So... I can see where we might struggle there, but playing just strictly man will limit us because they run a lot of crossing concepts to pick on late linebackers over the middle and stuff. So we run a cover two where there's a lot of guys down in the flats. It'll really limit Philip Nelson's options and make him throw it downfield while he's more likely to make mistakes. So running cover two is what we need to do most likely. We cannot play in strictly man coverage, though. I'm not saying throw it out the window, but use it a little bit more intermittently. Don't dedicate your whole defense to it this game the next thing we cannot do is lose gap integrity against the run it's very simple Cameron Artis Payne cap really good running back really good at cutting back making plays kind of outside the design run making people miss when they get in the backfield so we cannot lose a gap integrity we have to be stay true to our gap stay too true to our assignments and make plays on cutbacks and if we lose gap integrity whether it's Lance Dunbar or Cameron Artis Payne there will be big plays to pay for so we have to be a little bit more disciplined in the run game. We did a better job of this week. We only allowed, I think, maybe 40 yards rushing. But we really need to make sure we take another step forward in being aggressive but patient and sound and disciplined in our technique. So really, gap integrity is huge here. Staying true to your job and making sure you don't allow cutbacks is also very huge. And that's where we get into our most important players most important defensive player is Ben Heaney. He's going to play a huge role in getting everybody right, getting everybody lined up in this, what's going to be probably a very run-heavy scheme this week that's a little bit different than the air raid, but what really kind of helps Phil Nelson be comfortable. So I fully expect him to run the ball a lot more than they usually do. And that's why Ben Heaney's going to be really important. He needs to have a good day playing, playing, making tackles. He can't miss much. I think Frank Ginn is going to be really huge too. I expect him to get a lot of play this week. But... With this, we got to realize that, hey, Ben Heaney's got to get everybody lined up, got to get everybody sound in their fundamentals, make sure everything's going right. He's kind of the brains behind this on the field for this team. So making sure that front seven's all set is Ben Heaney's job, and he needs to have a great day directing and controlling all of this for this offense to work, uh, this defense to work and play really well. Now, for when we get to the offensive player, I've tried to beat, stay off the beaten path in the past and pick players that are important. This week, I'm going for the most obvious. It's whoever's starting at quarterback. You cannot turn over the ball, and you have to manage and make a couple plays in this offense. This, this game is going to come down to whoever gets the big play first and last. Whoever gets the last big play is probably going to win this game, and I do think it's going to be the Guardians. I think they have more of their pieces right now. They're not really struggling to find a quarterback. They believe they have their guy in Luis Perez a little bit, so... Really, it's just going to come down to whoever makes the big play and whoever doesn't give up the big play. So we cannot turn over the ball at quarterback, and we cannot not take chances. We have to take one or two late in the game to really make something happen. So whoever's starting at quarterback is the most important player in this game and the most important offensive player in this game. And then finally, to finish out our segment, we're going to go into the coach's hot seat. And I feel like you guys already know what I'm going to say. Should I even say it? Yeah, yeah, I'll say it. G.A. Mangus is never leaving this spot until this team scores more than 25 points in a game and has better than a 50% percentage, uh, sorry, I can't talk here, 50% success rate on third down. I mean, we've been 
piss poor on third down. We've struggled in the red zone. We still have only we still never scored more than twenty points as an offense in a game. So really, it's just going to come down to <laughs> what can he do for me? I mean, Mangus is still struggling calling an offense. So he's gotten better. He did better last week, and I'll give him that. But he's still in the hot seat because Jim Herman is doing a fantastic job. Our position groups are doing a fantastic job. The only one that I can maybe call out would be our offensive line coach. But I mean, he's doing what he can with a very not a greatly called offense. I mean, he's still having the offensive line work well in the run game and create holes for the run. So (laughs) Mangus, I don't know if he'll ever leave this position as the coach's hot seat, but that's where he is again. He has to prove to me that this offense can work in his system and that he can generate more than just 17 points a game. So that's the end of our preview. If you guys have any questions for me, make sure to throw throw them on Twitter and I'll answer them there. But, oh, yeah, I forgot one thing. Who's going to win this? I think the Guardians win. I know. It's crazy. I've said they think they're going to lose last week and the week before that. So I've been kind of a detractor. Now I'm finally getting on the bandwagon again. I think this Dallas team is very beatable. I don't think they're a great world beaters. They played really well with Landry Jones. They were competitive with Landry Jones, a quarterback, even though he made mistakes. But I think throwing Phillip Nelson in there just is going to be a shot. They're going to get shot in the leg here with their um, offense. They're not going to be able to move the ball at all. What Landry Jones did well was take chances. Even though he made some mistakes, he took chances, made some plays where he could, and I think that losing him is going to be like a shot in the foot to this offense. They're not going to be able to move the ball at all. They're going to go back to taking a lot of short gains and not converting on third down. So I think this Dallas team is very beatable, and I think the Guardians win. Do I think it's low scoring again? Yeah, probably. It's probably going to look a lot like that St. Louis game from week one where it was 15-9. to So that's kind of what I expect, but... Hopefully we score more points or else Mangus is going to be back on that hot seat. We're going to move on now to Guardians news in the outro, and then we're going to get out of here. So we'll be back right after break. So now we're to our final segment here, just general Guardians news that I found interesting. There's not really a whole lot. Matt McLoin is back and healthy, so he's starting to practice a little bit. I don't know if he's 100%. I don't think he is. Those rib injuries can be a little fickle sometimes, but he's back healthy and splitting reps with with Luis Perez at the first team. I fully expect Luis Perez to start, though. But there's possible trades at QB on the horizon. I know there's been talks about, really big talks about Quentin Flowers, possible trade there and I'm going to talk about that really quick I just don't see that happening I think Gilbride likes his situation at quarterback I think he may be looking for a new leader though I could see us probably getting rid of Matt McGloin if anything I know he's from what I've heard he's not happy with him as a leader so of course I don't have my ear to the ground like a lot of people I'm not talking to people in the locker room about that stuff usually that's pretty tight-knit and things like that so we'll just have to wait and see but I think that there is a possibility for that trade. I don't think it's very likely. I'm not a huge fan of Quentin Flowers as a passer. He's an incredible athlete, incredibly talented at what he does and making plays no matter where he is on the field. I'm just not sure how he can help us at quarterback. And who knows, maybe he comes in if he does come in and he just balls out and I'm completely wrong. I'm okay with that. I just don't see it happening from what I've seen on film and from what I've seen with him playing with the Vipers. I just don't know how effective he'll be in our type of scheme offensively. So there's not much other news. This is a pretty uneventful week so far. And I'm just excited to go into the game. And that's going to be the end of the episode. I know that was a short news segment. Sorry, guys. But there was not much else going on. I just want to thank everybody for listening, though. And by the way, thanks for all the interaction on Twitter. Really appreciate it. We finally made it to over 250 followers. Let's try to get to 300 now after this last game before the next episode. I'd really appreciate it. Love the support I'm getting. Can't wait to for this podcast to get even bigger and bigger and get you guys more and more involved in the creation of it. Um, I appreciate all the love on my Wednesday film days. It's something I really enjoy. It's a labor of love almost. So hopefully we can keep that growing as well. Like I said, if you already don't if you don't already follow the podcast on Twitter, you can go ahead and follow us at TGP underscore podcast. Make sure you guys subscribe, rate, and leave a review 
of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. I don't know if you can on Spotify, but if you can there or whatever podcast feed you're listening to, make sure you leave a review, rate it. That's how I get more views, get more people finding the podcast. So I'd really appreciate it if you did that. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. It was fun to talk about a win finally, and hopefully we get to do that next week as well. So that's going to be it. Enjoy the game this weekend and stay on guard, Guardians fans.